laughing? Why are you laughing? I think you're clapping for the kneeling bench. I don't think you're clapping for me, but it's really good to see you. Um, this will always be home to me. So I appreciate that you let me pop in from time to time, though I do think it's probably something of a um, scheme to have an American preacher because we preach mm, 15-minute sermons. So after that, I know, now you're really going to clap. So after Fitzroy, <laughs> after Fitzroy Family Focus, I think it was all a scheme. Bring in the American, she'll be quick and short. Um, I do want to say how wonderful it is to be home in this place. Um, I also want to say you heard all the great things about how good you folk are at hospitality. Well, you get to prove that next week. Two church members from North Carolina are traveling England and Ireland and Scotland and coming to Belfast because of you, because of all I've said about you. So they will be here in worship with you. Um, they're called the Cyberlings, Dave and Linda, so mob them, yeah, and, um, and invite them for lunch, please, um, if you will, and let them get to know how great uh, you are so they know I don't just make up stories about you. All right. Please join me in prayer. God, you spoke. And there was light. You breathed. And dry bones were joined together. You came. In fullness and truth. Giving flesh to who you are. Showing us what it means to be human. And so God we trust that you will come, that you will speak, that you will breathe, that you will reveal yourself to us in new ways this day. And so we open ourselves up to your presence. We long to hear from you. So come, O God. In Jesus' name, amen. I am boring. It's true, I'm really boring. And in case you're wondering what it looks like to be boring, if some of you fear you might be boring, um, here are some ways to tell. First, your favorite thing to do on a Friday evening is put on your flannel pajamas and watch Doctor Who. Anyone? Yeah? Um, Okay, another way you know you're boring is when you have long, meaningful conversations with your dog, who rarely replies uh, sometimes. Jonathan, yeah, we've got the same dog. Um, Okay, the final way, I really know I'm boring. And just know this is a vulnerable moment for me. So the most rebellious thing I ever did, oh, this is a hard one. Are you ready? Can you handle this? Yeah, you think? Okay, the most rebellious thing I ever did was in university. How many rebelled in university? Anybody? How many are currently rebelling in university? Um, 
Joanna, just gonna go. So I, um, yes, so I was in my rebellious university days when you're really meant to rebel, and the most wild thing I did was attend a different church. <laughs> I mean, really, I'm really. So I was raised Presbyterian. And I decided to go to this large, popular church with the highly original name of Grace Bible Church, which is American, by the way, for God bless America. It is. So they they had a mission course, and I wanted to be a missionary, and so I went to Grace Bible Church. And that first night, I learned an awful lot about the church. I learned that you could only be a pastor if you were a slightly hipsterish fellow with an earring. Where's Dave Thompson? (laughs) Everybody look at Dave. You had to look like Dave. It's kind of scary, isn't it? It is scary. Okay, I also learned that God was a pretty angry fella who was intent on sending an awful lot of people to hell. And finally, I learned that the role of mission was to pass out salvation like bus tokens to keep as many people as possible from that terrible fate. And then the hipster pastor said something I had never heard before, taking Matthew chapter 24, verse 14, entirely out of context. He said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all the peoples, all the nations, and then the end will come. Unless you preach this gospel to every people group, Jesus will not come back, he threatened. We all sat there a bit stunned. It did give a bit of um, urgency to the old missionary work, though. There are, of course, some really glaring theological problems with such a statement, chiefly that it makes Jesus sound like a petulant toddler in timeout gurning. Oh, can I come back yet? I'm ready to come back. And we say, oh, no, there's an obscure village in Indonesia. They haven't heard of you yet. Sit tight. And he goes, okay, I'll sit here. So this also means that God is somehow incapable of acting when and how God chooses. But we all believed, hipster pastor. We must have been mesmerized by that earring. I don't know. Um, And so we began several weeks of classes aimed at living out the Great Commission by making disciples of all peoples, by strategically reaching Certain people groups, is this familiar language to some of you, perhaps? And I studied, I I had a project on the Kurds, this group of people in Turkey, and I wrote this whole paper about how these poor wandering people were so rejected by their own cultures in Iraq or Iran and Turkey, wherever they wound up, that we could offer them a positive identity, like a self-esteem boost in Jesus. 
Well, we never actually talked to anyone in our people group. And we never actually talked about what happened once you took the gospel to them. Apparently, all that mattered is that we took it. Except, of course, that the Great Commission doesn't say make Christians. It says make disciples. We also prayed a lot. We prayed for the lost. We prayed for the sinner. We prayed for the heathen. And it was actually in one of those lengthy emotional prayer sessions that I heard the word heathen escape my lips that I realized how far I had wandered in my rebellion. From the grace of God, I knew in my own life. So when I read this Great Commission text from Matthew, it stirs up all of those feelings from my militantly Christian rebellious days of my youth. But there has to be more in this text than making Jesus our own personal puppet or than damning the nations to ignorance. So I looked a bit closer reading it within the context of the rest of Matthew. Matthew, more than any other gospel writer, takes great pains to emphasize the Jewish connections of Jesus. From the very beginning, he highlights them by talking about these strange magi visiting, the flight to Egypt, Herod's violent massacre of innocents, and then Jesus' return to Nazareth. But just when it begins to sound like Matthew's putting up a peace wall between Jews and Gentiles to keep them separate, he surprises us. He makes a point of acknowledging the cultural tension between these two people and actually talks about that tension within Jesus himself. When he said such divisive things as I was sent only to the lost sheep of Israel, to the Canaanite woman. She then challenges him to help her, and he gets even more offensive, saying, I should not take the children's food and give it to the dogs. But that Canaanite woman stands up to him, and the missionary movement of Jesus shifts under her strength. She, a Gentile, is praised for her faithfulness. And so perhaps Jesus doesn't go to Gentiles in Matthew, but they come to him all the time. The Magi, the centurion, that bold Canaanite woman. And Matthew again and again praises them for their faithfulness. As the great South African missiologist, a fellow David Bosch, wrote, Matthew desires his community to no longer regard itself as a sectarian group, but boldly and consciously the church of Christ. And so Matthew is the only gospel writer to use that word, ecclesia, church, to include Jews 
and Gentiles, everyone. Now, if I hold up my experience at Grace Bible Church, the truth is it looks an awful lot more like a sectarian group out for blood than boldly and consciously like the Church of Jesus Christ. When our theology tells us that we alone are right and those who differ from us are wrong, that God can only work through us and no one else, that we are in the position of telling God who is and is not worthy of salvation, we can be sure that we are creating a sectarian group and not a church. The words of the Great Commission to go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, fall short. If we don't remember what it was Jesus taught us to do. Again, turning to Bosch, we hear from Matthew. Being a disciple means living out the teachings of Jesus, which the evangelists recorded in great detail. It is unthinkable to divorce the Christian life of love and justice from being a disciple. Discipleship involves a commitment to God's reign, to justice, and to love, and to obedience to the entire will of God. Mission is not narrowed down to an activity of making individuals new creatures, of providing them with blessed assurance so that come what may, they will be eternally saved. Mission is, from the beginning and as matter of course, making new believers sensitive to the needs of others, opening their eyes to the plight of those who have fallen by the wayside. It cannot be denied that the church is at its very heart missionary. I think this is why in the resurrection story that precedes this great commission, Jesus' followers, female and male, are told repeatedly, do not be afraid. Go and tell you lot at Fitzroy are a remarkable community, one I am apparently incapable of staying away from for more than a few years. You do not divorce a Christian life of love and justice from being a disciple. You actively work to deconstruct the forces of sectarianism and division within the church and also within society. You have taken this great commission of going into the world and having the world come to you at times seriously over the past 200 years. And you will no doubt continue for many years to come. But allow a boring yank preacher to challenge you for a minute. God is not done. And so you are not done. 
You are still being called out, not in order to save souls, that would be God's work, and not to get Jesus to come back sooner. You are being called to go and tell the good news of Jesus being alive and at work, bringing resurrection in this complicated and beloved world here, now. Sharing this good news with just words or even with a simple salvation formula, is easy. Living it by tearing down us and them whenever it tries to creep in, by allowing one you consider to have lesser faith than you to teach you something amazing about God, by participating in God's salvation here in your midst, By opening your eyes to those on the wayside, it is so much harder to live it. But if we do not find this great commission to be a terrifying thing, then we are probably not living it. It only came after Jesus was raised from the dead. Not regenerated, by the way, Huvians. He refused to be contained by the powers of death and greed and hate. And so this great call is founded on that most powerful reality of our faith. It makes a Canaanite woman begging for crumbs or maybe a Roma lady selling big issues our prophets. It makes the desperate ways of the powerful to trade the truth for a crisp bill or the poor for a trade deal all too obvious and laughable. And it makes doubters become missionaries. And missionaries become doubters. This is a terrifying call. One that requires engaging the nations with humility and openness. Participating in God's resurrection work in this world should be every bit as urgent. Maybe even more so than focusing on eternal life. Resurrection to a person entrapped by poverty or hunger does not look like the promise of heaven where there will be plentiful food. Resurrection for that person looks like enough to eat today. So unlike that hipster pastor, I actually say that God is at work in this world regardless Going to those places where God is most desperately needed, where the need for new life is real. God does not need us to do this. But God desperately wants us to be a part of it. To be called out, to go and tell the good news that there is life even as we doubt, and even as we fear. Still, 200 years on, this is your call, and it is mine. But remember, we are promised, I will be with 
you, and by you, that's everyone God has made. I will be with you always, to the end of time. Is that not news worth sharing? Not just with words. Words are easy. With our lives. That is what this Great Commission is all about. Living it with our lives. Trusting that resurrection is not some distant promise, but is being discovered here now as we are called to find those who have fallen by the wayside. Let us pray together. God, we confess that at times when we find you are far beyond our understanding, we seek instead of being made in your image to make you in ours. We confess that it is so much easier to assume that when sharing you with people who are different from us, we can also share our culture as the ideal. And we confess, O oh God, that so often we see our doubts as a threat to our faith. When actually those who worshipped you in your risen form doubted and you called them out anyway. So God, we offer ourselves to you not because you need us, Not because you are not God or not capable of working in this world in ways that you choose, but because we need you. We need to play a role in your work in this world. We need to know that even when we divide ourselves and even when we categorize people, that you have made us one and that you have created us for community. Not community that is sectarian or divided or separate, but community that is wildly open. Courageously proclaiming who we understand you to be. But in a way that is compassionate and authentic. This call, O God, is way too big for any one of us. It's actually way too big for all of us together, but that is how we are reminded how much we need your spirit to breathe through us, to take our anxiety we carry around every day, to take those we worry about, to take our grief and our sadness, to take our boredness, And that out of that, you somehow guide us out. You lead us into your world to be a part of a radical new community. So forgive us, O God, if we think your church only means us. And shake us. Send us out. That we might not just look upon our past and see joy, but that we might see the promise of a future 
of the ways you are bringing resurrection here, now, today, and using us to do it. We thank you, God, for the gift that is Fitzroy, for its witness, for the power of this diverse community, for the ways so many, including myself, have felt at home in this place, in a world where people often do not feel at home, even in their own skin. We thank you. And we acknowledge that all of this has been done by your power and not ours. So shake us, O God. Call us out again, even as we wonder if we have actually seen your risen presence in front of us. Send us out anyway that we might see you more clearly in those we serve. Thank you, God, that though you do not need us, you choose to use us to be your witnesses. Give us the courage to say yes to this terrifying and thrilling call. For we are your people And this is your church, and we offer you all things in the name of Jesus Christ, who refused to be contained by death and fear and hate, but who rose that new life might be a reality, not just for a time to come, but also here and now. Amen.